This is Shifting Our Schools episode 112, Breaking Down Project-Based Learning. How much time do we actually see these kids? Mm. And, you know, if you do the math and equate it to like how many days out of the year, it's for, for middle school teachers that have a two-hour block, it's about 15 days out of the year. For mm. high school teachers, it's like eight days out of the year. And I began to think like, what's the greatest, what's the greatest skill that I can emphasize? Is it, is it literacy? Is it math? Is it, you know, and then I just started to say, you know, the greatest skill, the thing that's ultimately measured is, can you be successful as an independent person? Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for tuning in this week. We're only a couple weeks away from the NCCE conference here in Seattle, the big regional ed tech conference here in the Pacific Northwest. Just wanted to let you know that I'll be doing six different sessions at the conference this year, everything from a tech coach or tech TOSA meetup to a session titled Digital Distractions Beyond Counting Notifications. If you are going to NCCE, as I know we have a lot of listeners here in the Pacific Northwest this year, please do stop by and say hi to both Chris Butler and I. We do have some Shifting Our School stickers for your laptop. So if you'd like one of those, come say hi to us and we'll give you a sticker so that you can put that on your laptop as well. Uh, I really appreciated designing them and, and having those ready for NCCE. So I look forward to meeting a bunch of you there and giving you a sticker. We're also going to be doing some live recordings and would love to hear what you learn at the conference. So be watching the conference hashtag NCCE2020. So that's hashtag NCCE2020 to see where we'll be recording around the conference. And if you're not from the Pacific Northwest, you probably know how this goes. Twitter is where you follow conferences. And this is a fantastic conference. It's uh, sponsored by ISTE, the ISTE organization. So it's one of the ISTE regional conferences. They are a backer of the conference. Really good presenters, really good sessions, uh, a great, a great uh, conference overall. And you can follow everything that happens during the conference by following hashtag NCCE2020 on Twitter. So for no other reason to be on Twitter is to follow conferences that you can't attend. And this would be a great one to be able to grab resources from in the coming weeks. Uh, the conference is actually March 4th through the 6th. So you'll be hearing more about it as we get closer. With that, there's only about two weeks left to enter to win the Flipgrid pop-up tent for your classroom. Right now, you have a really good shot at winning as nobody... Not one person has left a Flipgrid response over on our Flipgrid to enter to win this thing. My wife and I have started the renovation on our house, and I need this thing out of here. My wife is even saying, why did you keep this? Why didn't we pack this away? I was like, because I'm giving it away. So now I got to give it away. You can see it for yourself over at Flipgrid. Just go to sospodcast.org and click on Flipgrid up at the top on the menu bar, and you'll find a video from me talking about this cool tent, and then just leave us a response there and you can enter to win this Flipgrid pop-up tent. Or you can download the Flipgrid app and enter the code SOSPODCAST and record there and let us know what you think on this week's question or anything about this week's episode that is really focused around project-based learning. So what is this week's question, you ask? That is a really good question. So here it is. How do you break down project-based learning in your classroom for students? In other words, how do you chunk it? Do you follow some sort of learning cycle or do you chunk it in another way? What works for you and your students when you're having students go deep into a project-based learning cycle? 
You can head over to Flipgrid and answer this week's question or just give a give us your thoughts on this week's episode and you'll be entered to win the tent. Or if you'd rather, you can email us at sospodcast at gmail.com and enter to win that way as well. We try to make it as easy as possible. I'm trying to give away a tent here, people. This week, Chris Butler and I chat with Pat Zuniga, a high school teacher who calls his classroom tech-inclusive, a great conversation on the power of technology to transform learning for students. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So good to be back here. Uh, it's great to have uh, Chris back here and our guest today, Pat. Chris, day in the life of a tech coach, my friend. How's it been going, life. my friend? Yep, here we go. So uh, <laughs> today, today I was, so I've set up residencies at schools. Um, I have mm. mapped out days on the calendar and I'm at schools Very cool. for two-ish, two to three days a week. Um, so that's going on now. I was at a middle school today. I love my middle school teachers. They're rock stars. Yeah, um, yeah. And the finding kids some good ones. Yeah, yeah. so I was um, hanging out kind of in the staff room in the morning and they knew I was going to be there. I contacted the building and said, hey, I'm going to be there for a couple of days. So I had a couple of meetings scheduled with teachers, but a bunch of it was like coming into the staff room like, hey, can you, are you available in 10 minutes? Can you come in my class? And so we did some work with... A lot of the um, English classes that the kids were doing um, video projects, they were, they had did group research and they were putting together um, a video project and they were working on that today. So I got to work with them on some iMovie stuff and we did some um, uh, Adobe Spark video cool. stuff, um, which I love. Um, so I got to do that. Uh, the only problem, can I be honest? The only, the only yeah, problem, listeners, listeners, I'm going to bear my soul. Um, <laughs> the, the only problem with being in classes more is I miss the classroom more. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny as I've, as I've kind of grown in this role and it's become more of a district level and we've talked about, I'm supporting the eight schools. I find myself not in classes as often. Yeah. And so now when I'm in there, I'm like, Oh, I want to be back. I want to go back in the class and do this. this yeah. Right. So, so, you know, it, it's, 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 it's good. It's good and bad, you know, one of those things, yeah. but, but it was a good day. It was really cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm coming back from a week of travel. I spent last week out in the middle part of the state. So yeah. I spent uh, money Monday at Connell high school with those teachers who they went one-to-one. -one. They rolled out their one-to-one -one last October, a Chromebook uh, deployment. Uh, so I got to spend time with them going over some ways that how do we make kids be creators with devices? Awesome. And then on Tuesday, I got to hang out with my friends at Moses Lake. We got yeah. to visit some classrooms. So to your point, I got mm -hmm. to visit uh, two, three high school classrooms and then uh, two middle school classrooms, three middle school classrooms. And it was like, I'm in there with the kids and I wasn't even teaching. Yeah. I was just like going in right. to see how technology is being used in that whole thing. But it makes you miss them. It does. I was yeah. just like, ah, oh, I mean, yeah. I don't miss the, I don't miss the nine to five job. No, but man, I miss the kids. I don't <laughs> yeah. miss grading. No, I don't, no, miss, I don't miss that at all. Yeah. And I miss the kids, you know? Yeah. yeah That's for the sure. thing. So, uh, yeah. So I had a good week and then I was in union gap for two days. So I was full on last week and then uh, yeah. flew back over the pass and made it home. Awesome. And now this week we get to do a bunch of podcasts. So yeah. Awesome. We've got them stacked yeah. up. Yeah. And uh, we're starting this week off with uh, Pat. Pat, how do you say your last name? Zuniga. Zuniga. And where's yeah. that from? What's, what's the origin of that? Well, it's originally, well, it's originally from um, Basque country, Northern Spain. Wow. I, cool. I come from, my, my father comes from Mexico. Okay. Uh, so Northern Mexico is, is where I, my line is from. Wow. So Spanish to Mexico to, to the yeah, U.S. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a wonder, you know, like, uh, 
a lot of people I did the DNA testing to find out what it is. And it's like, it's yeah. 1% Spain is Span uh, from Spain. And then the wow. rest of it from is uh, indigenous and, and um, you know, right around the, the Texas area. Wow. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. My wife and I did the DNA thing and we were hoping we'd get something besides like West, you know, Western European. That's all we got. Yeah. <laughs> we were just like, it was like, come on, there's not even a hint of anything. Yeah. Just like, that's it. It was just, I want to be exotic. I know I want something. I needed <laughs> yeah. something, you know, yeah. but no, no German Ireland. Mm-hmm. That was it. Like 98%. Yeah. I'm like, seriously, <laughs> I wanted the surprise. We didn't get the yeah. surprise. So, well, Pat, thanks for joining us this evening. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your classroom. And then you are are also in a consultant. So we'll talk a little bit about the work that you do there. But before we get started, uh, could you tell the listeners, how did you get into education and and become a teacher? And where are you today? Um, I got into education from my family. My my mother's an educator. My grandfather's an educator. My aunt and uncle are educators. So it was really just dinner table talk you know i wanted to be a part of the dinner table talk yeah and they were talking about things like just like you guys were grading papers and missing the kids and um something something just said i, I want to be a part of that um and then i just kind of pursued it i identified it as a goal in 10th grade and then just kept working on it um by about 10th grade i figured out i i wasn't big enough to play any type of football after high school <laughs> so <it was laughs> i guess i could coach so those two you know having oh, football cool. been part of my life and then being an educator kind of aligned and that's just what I pursued. Sure. I was 16. Very cool. So where'd you go to university? Where'd you go from there? And then Washington state university. All right. Hey, after that, I went to uh, grand Canyon university and got my master's of arts and teaching. And then I went to university of Kansas and got my uh, master's of science and education. I'm currently attending Concordia university in Portland uh, doing through there. So um, I've been, I've been around, you know, (laughs) awesome. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, your school kind of where, what's the makeup of your school. And then we'll get into more of your classroom and what your approach is. So are you one-to-one kind of how many kids, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So Southeastern Washington, Tri-Cities, uh, demographic is, um, monocultural. It's about 93%, uh, Hispanic. Um, and, um, you know, it's, that's the reality we teach in, uh, it's, uh, urban school and, um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of uh, English language learners there. Okay. So yeah. all those things are things we take into consideration when we're doing our lesson planning and our curricular designs, our pacing guides and things like that. Cool. And talk and then, a little bit now about your classroom or what's your, okay. What's your yeah. So like? um, one-to-one, we are a one-to-one school. Um, okay. and prior to that, you know, we had iPads and, and like many schools, we kind of toiled around what is the, what's the acceptable use of devices. And yeah, uh, and I think devices is kind of a cool term. Uh, we want it to mean everything, but really it means, you know, smartphones these days. Uh, I don't yeah, see right. kids walking around with iPads or uh, uh, tablets, you know, it's, it's either smartphones or one-to-one devices. That's kind of my impression of, of that. Um, so we are one-to-one. Um, and then my classroom, I wouldn't say it's technologically dependent, but it is definitely definitely technological technologically inclusive, mm. um, tech, technologically inviting. Um, I, I use like a website that. almost like yeah. supported by uh, um, links um, from different different things that we're studying. I, I call them thinking tasks. They're available online, and the students basically have an opportunity to engage with the video, a short YouTube video, and then a, a, um, a complimentary text than to kind of form, use some critical thinking to form a written answer. And are you using software to do that or? 
Are they <laughs> writing on paper, watching a video, writing on paper, I, or what's that look like? You know, it's a drafting process. So I okay. do it on paper first. Um, I do all the research on paper. So that's just Microsoft Word, you know. Sure. And I forward that on to a development company, and they build the websites. Actually, they build the framework, and then I just kind of input all the stuff that I wanted wanted be, wanted to be in there. Um, you know, just scour scour the internet for web for for sites. You know, like. Yeah. I don't want to lose time for needless researches. The time is time is very important to what we do. So giving them a precise link and then teaching them how to do keyword searches in case they don't like that link. That's, you know, that's a kind of a way to, to make sure that the time is focused. Um, so I do a lot of the front end stuff. The company that develops it does a lot of the back end stuff. They make it look pretty, but I, you know, I, I, I put it all together. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, talk a little bit about your approach, like your holistic approach of trying to get kids autonomy in your classroom. What, why is yeah. that such a passion for you? You know, I was doing the math and I, you know, I've got a two hour block. And when I taught high school history with Chris there in Prosser, we had a one hour, you know, 58 minutes. And I started to do the math and I was trying to figure out how much time do we actually see these kids? Mm. And, you know, if you do the math and equate it to like how many days out of the year, it's for, for middle school teachers that have a two hour block, it's about 15 days out of the year. For high school teachers, it's like eight days out of the year. And I began to think like, what's the greatest, what's the greatest skill that I can emphasize? Is it, is it literacy? Is it math? Is it, you know, and then I just started to say, the, you know, the greatest skill, the thing that's ultimately measured is, can you be successful as an independent person? Hmm. And that definition of success is, you know, that, that's very, um, that's very subjective. People can define that for themselves. Um, but I just was like, when you, when, you, when you walk out of our school or when you walk out of my classroom, are you going to be able to function independently? And that's going to look different at different levels, but that's kind of the goal. So then I have to jump back and say, but I'm an ELA teacher. I'm not, you know, I'm not a middle school life coach. That, that term doesn't exist yet, if it ever will. Right. So how can I integrate those beliefs into literature? How can I do it as a social studies teacher? Well, and so that's uh, kind of been the drive that I've been pursuing. And that's what I was going to ask Pat. So how do you go about doing that? How do you scaffold that idea of more student autonomy, uh, moving away from teacher centered to student centered? Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Uh, it feels like a lot of patience. Um, <laughs> it feels like I'm watching the students as they're beginning to draft their strategies for success and they're starting to put um, um, uh, thoughts into actions. And I have to be patient. I have to believe that they are, I have to be optimistic. I have to believe that they know where they're going and they know why they're going that direction. Um, so it takes a lot of, a lot of me just sitting back and observing. Um, I was told last year by a student, you know, like a lot of teachers, I do a kind of a student qualitative survey. How did I do at the end of the year? And a student was like, man, you have to do less motivational talks. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty powerful, that's a pretty powerful thing. Cause I know I do a lot of that. Like, yeah. You got to believe in yourself because if you can dream it, you can make it happen. And you live in an era with so many different technologies. Um, so don't be afraid to dream it because there's enough power here. There's enough technological power to make it happen. And so then I have to step back and just observe and say, okay, how's it going to look? And it's awesome because it doesn't look the same for two students. Two students go about it the exact, totally different ways. And it's uh, to watch the results at the end of the year is pretty, pretty fantastic. And and that totally ties into that personalized learning, student autonomy, that sort of thing. I heard you use a phrase called strategies for success. Goal setting, is that something that 
you do a lot with the kids? Do, is it, do you, you check in on the goals over time? Like, what does that look like? So, uh, you know, I teach ELA. So our goals are liter- literacy-based. Um, and I'm, a, I'm also a football coach. I'm training that. So we look a lot of, at a lot of data. Um, and so for me, the, 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 the test that we have available in our district, district is the STAR test. So I'll do a lot of analysis of the STAR tests, and I'm also a growth-based person. So I, I, don't, I don't look at that and say, how quickly can you get up to this number? I say, where do you start and what's a reasonable goal for the end? Um, you know, we heard of some superintendents say at the beginning of the year, one-year growth and one-year Tim. I think that that's a brilliant way of saying, we expect you to grow. Um, what, what that looks like and, and at the end of the day, it's gonna look differently. But if it's, if it's a p- positive, it's gotta be positive. Um, so, I tie those goals into, into literacy, like, okay, what's your star score at the beginning of the year? And what's it going to look like after, after the first quarter? What's it going to look at like after the first semester? And I'll break it down into percentages. I had this great idea that I was going to have the students do the math and they were going to come up and say, I want to grow by, you know, 6% is this amount. And at the end, I want to have this score. And it just, it just didn't ended up being a misuse of time. So I'll, I'll do a lot of that data input and say, okay, here's what your score was. Let's use an easy number. So, um, you got your score is 500. So a 10% growth is 50, a uh, 20% growth is a hundred, you know, and then it goes up from there. And then I say, okay, so what do you want to grow b- before the next test? They identify the goal and I never admonish them for, for their goal. The, you know, I, I'll talk to them if their goal seems unreasonable and if they put a negative goal, I'll definitely want to understand why, but that goes into that relationship building part of it. They're, they're, they're choosing something. I want to talk to them about it. Interested as a human and, yeah. and as somebody that believes that they, the world is theirs, man. I believe that. That's cool. Yeah. So that just has me thinking like this idea of autonomy and goal setting with students and what has been their reaction with this yeah. other than you give too many motivational speeches. Right? <laughs> um, but like, but I'm good about, at them, but I'm good at them. <laughs> but that's why, but are. I love doing them. <laughs> right. um, I love that though, right? Because that's what we do. We're just like, oh, right. those shocking moments when kids, you're like, what? But that's my favorite part of the day. <laughs> um, but uh, talk a little bit about like, what have you noticed with this, this constant goal setting? I love this idea of, you know, setting big goals and, and then chunking those back into like, even you're saying quarter, quarter mm-hmm. growth. Do you find that kids, like in your own mind, or maybe you've been doing this long enough, but when you started doing it, were you shocked at how far kids were trying to push themselves? Or do you find that most kids are like, Oh, I just want to make a 2% gain or most kids like, I want to try and 10, 20%. Like what, what, what do you feel like? What's the feedback from kiddos? on that? Well, I, th- I think for me, it really drives me to get them to know, to get to know them as an individual. Mm. Um, I'm never really shocked at the goals they set anymore. Um, but I am interested to see their reactions towards what they do earn and whether they're going to be accepting of, okay, that's, that was my top score. So I'm done. Or if they are going to um, um, hold themselves overly accountable and begin to feel bad about what they, how, you know, what they scored um, or, you know, if certain things happen where all of a sudden they start performing at a, at a much higher level. And I could talk to them like what, what occurred between last February and this, the end of March that made yeah. this happen. Um, so it really has driven me to, to get to know the students a little bit more. I always, you know, I, I was always interested in people talking about building relationships with students. And I was like, well, yeah, of course we all want to, we all want to build relationships with students, but you don't just walk into a room and say, I want to build a relationship with you. you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Than that. It's like, I want to yeah. find out what makes you tick and I want to find mm. out what, 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 what this is all about. 
Um, and then I want to see if I can motivate you or inspire you or to, to provide something that makes you take it to another level. I always, mm -hmm. call, I always coined the term optimal learning. We want students to have their optimal learning. Um, so how do I get them to that level? How do I work with them? Because trust me, it is not me. It is all them. Um, so it's really just a matter of getting to know what's going on in the student's life. Because the opposite is true, too. I mean, we celebrate a lot of victories, but then there's a couple students where we begin to identify like, oh, my gosh, their scores are, aren't going the direction we thought. And their demeanor has changed a little bit. Maybe we ought to ask some questions that, you know, we got to bring in extra teammates. We got yeah. tremendous counselors. We've got tremendous admin and, and other support staff that can help us with those. Um, so the data can be used for that, too. Very cool. Outside of that kind of stuff, what does your classroom look like? Do kids have a lot of autonomy over the direction of you're an ELA teacher? So direction over what they study, where they go. Are you, are you pretty tied into a curriculum as dictated we, by? We've by done a good district? job. My, yeah. My colleagues and I have done a good job of taking the district's curriculum and, and making it fit to us. Um, so we are, we are in a book and, and uh, we do go through certain, certain um, chapters or units within that book. But then we'll find little ways that we can, you know, take a little bit of a left to cover this or take a little mm. bit more of a right to cover that. Um, for example, we did a, we did a, um, a, a unit on um, seeing is believing. And the entire premise was, do you, if you, do you have to see something to believe it or do we just believe it? And so the story had us read a, a literature book, a great story called The People Could Fly. And it was, you know, it's a, uh, a folk tale about people who lose their wings. It's about the trans transatlantic slave trade. And, but we, we understand our culture. So we wanted to put other things that might've been more relevant, like um, the Kukui or La Llorona. Like, do mm. we believe these things? Uh, Very you know, cool. We grow up hearing these folk tales. And so we found um, school appropriate texts to support that. And some of the writing we got that from that was fantastic. Very cool. cool. I love that. And I love that, that idea, right? And I talk about this all the time is we have to remember that curriculum, well, sorry, I, again, I, someday I'm going to have a podcast. that's all about the word curriculum and how it's not That's a Jeff Ram podcast that's coming soon. Don't worry about that one. Um, but one thing, one thing I love about what you just said is, is a teacher's ability and having the understanding that when you, for example, folktales is in your curriculum, you're being told that you have to, to teach folktales. But we have to have the opportunity to say, okay, we can study one or two of these folktales, but there are folktales in my culture, there are folktales in our students' culture that we have to somehow bring those in. I was, we were talking about this and it's at every level. We were talking about, um, I think it was second or third grade a while ago, I was talking with some teachers and they're like, oh, we're teaching, national, we're teaching natural disasters but we have to teach about hurricanes. I'm like, why do you have to, if, if the concept is natural disasters, you can talk about hurricanes, but if you live in the Pacific Northwest, hurricanes are not our natural right. disaster. Right. Volcanoes, earthquakes, right. those yeah. are our natural disasters. Yeah. I talk about hurricanes, but the in-depth stuff can be about natural disasters that I'm actually involved me. Right? right. I love that, that idea. It's like, how do you take something that is like, okay, I have to study folktales, and folktales are folktales. The idea is the premise of what folktales are, the stories that are handed right. down through generation and make it about student culture. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what good teachers do. And we got a tremendous team. You know, I work with some great, great uh, teachers that we all get together and we have the opportunity to meet several times. And we just, we have a brainstorm session where we just kind of put our ideas out. And, you know, it, it's true collaborate, co collaboration. We, each of us brings an individual lens to it and we discuss it. And 
sometimes we have bad ideas and sometimes we have great ideas and sometimes we lose focus. But at the end of the day, we understand that our goal. And I like how you mentioned the natural disasters thing. You know, we're, we're trying to build this um, interdisciplinary approach. Like if you're doing it in there, why can't I help you out in here? So yeah. as social study teachers, you know, we, we're teaching our ELA and we have folktales and we're like, well, what's a relevant folktale to Washington State? Exactly. Bigfoot. Let's, let's yeah. talk about Perfect. Bigfoot. Done. And, yeah. yeah. And, and so, <laughs> so good. And, and then, um, you know, you just, you just find those little things and you say like, well, I'm still in the curriculum. I'm still That's right. technically covering yeah, what the curriculum Absolutely. But I'm just going to, I'm just going to access some different resources. Yeah. Um, so we've been really, we've been really trying to get those, marshal those resources together. Yeah. And, and let's just remember, like, I'm just going my little rant here. We, <laughs> we're not tied to curriculum. We're tied to state standards, at least here in our state. Right. Now, your district is going to adopt curriculum to help you meet those standards. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, as a teacher, you're held to the standard. And if the standard is, is folktales, it's understanding folktales as they relate to our culture. Mm -hmm. That's the actual standard. It's yeah. not this specific folktale that some publisher from some state that we don't live in decided that's the folk right. every kid should read, right? right? Like exactly. that's exactly. the thing. Like if you know the standard, you have some resources, curriculum that are supposed to support you with that, but you should have the freedom outside of that to say, but my kids need to understand that Bigfoot is a folktale for here in the Pacific. Right. And, you know, I, I would, I, I'd even take it one step further, you know? So I'm, I, this was a couple of years ago and I said, okay, we're going to study these folktales. And the student raised their hand and said, came up to me and said, May I study this? And it was a folktale from Eastern Europe. And I was like, I was taken aback. Like, why would you want? And then I, before I asked that question, why would you want to study it? I was like, okay, well, explain to me, explain to me why you would like to study it. And this, that's the type of autonomy right. and that type of outside of the box thinking like, okay, mm -hmm. sure. You, you know what? Go do that. That's going to be tougher research than I could ever design. For <laughs> yeah. You said <laughs> intrinsic motivation and get going. Yeah. yeah. Love it. And I think that's the thing, right? We talk a lot about, and you just touched on it, that idea of we want kids to be intrinsically motivated, but kids are, you're only intrinsically motivated if you have the autonomy to go and do something. You right. can't say, I want kids to be intrinsically motivated, but say, I want you to stay inside this specific mm -hmm. box and right. I want you to be motivated inside this box. That's not how it works. Right. right. Motivation comes from an internal passion. If I want to go research this folktale or I want to go research this Bigfoot versus this folktale of Bigfoot in another country, because they've got one in the Himalayas as well, go shock. Right. I like, yep. Why can't I do that? You know, right. that's, and that's where autonomy, that idea of autonomy and intrinsic motivation yep. come from is the ability to choose. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and it sounds like Pat, that you have some freedom. Your administration is giving you some freedom. Your team is, willing to take chances and well like i said like i said uh chris we we have some tremendous teachers yeah. and um i always my teaching partner is so awesome jennifer will keep me in line like i'll start going <laughs> off well hey, we could study the history of baseball and we could do this with skyscrapers. Not, not you you wouldn't do that <laughs> but that's that accountability piece that, that yeah. all great teams have you know like right yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna dream big and i'm gonna try and hit it out of the park and she'll be like hey man the only, you know, the old major league line, the only part that's going out of is, isn't getting out of his Yellowstone. I'm like, okay, I got to pull it back a little bit. Yeah. So some of your, so have some of your teammates, your uh, fellow teachers kind of worked with you and kind of adopted the idea of the um, goal setting and the, that sort of thing with the students. Is that kind of taken over your team a little well, bit? Well, you know, that's, that's the autonomy piece they, yeah. they have. And, and we talk about it and we, we give each other's ideas and strategies, but what, what they do in their room is, they feel is best for their kids. And yeah. 
you know, we don't want to come and say, this is the way to do it. Right. You know, we all have seen there's several different ways to skin a cat. And, you know, if it's working, it's working. And, yeah. you know, and that's the individuality part of it. Um, I love it. Yeah, that's, that's. And I always, whenever I'm working with teachers and they're, we have this conversation, as you know, when you work with teachers, you have this conversation, but this is, this is our curriculum. And I like, I like to use the term learning materials rather than curriculum. Yes. Oh, that's a beautiful um, term. <laughs> but it's always like, well, this is what we're supposed to cover. I'm yes, yes. But you are artists and you're magicians. So work your magic and, and yeah, create that's some right. art, right? <laughs> no, and, and, like, I, I appreciate that you said that because the first master's I own, earned was a master of arts and teaching. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, well, there's a master's of arts and master's of science and what's a different. And I will tell you, they are, they're very different. Uh, someone, in my opinion, somebody with a master's of arts begins to craft the arts. You know, they, they understand the, 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 the the playwright of the classroom mm -hmm. yeah. you know whereas somebody that's a science when i got the second one i was doing data analysis and trying to wow. come up with qualitative versus quantitative data and what, what's <laughs> going on and i was like one of the best teachers i know doesn't have a master's degree and man that guy could teach yeah. the rights out of anything because yeah. he's an artist yeah yeah that's so true Cool. So true. Well, let's pivot here a little bit. Uh, you are also a consultant um, starting. A, I, I've checked out your website. It looks really cool. And this whole so idea much. of uh, my mind, my power. So kind of, could you kind of tell us what's the premise and, and what do schools hire you to do? What, what kind of work do you do? Well, it's kind of exactly, you know, what I just explained. It's um, how do you, how do you think outside of the box? Well, while um, not losing sight of things like ELA goals, um, or organizational change. You know, how do you how do you understand the the structures, norms, and and procedures that define who you are, and how can you overcome them to be what you what you desire to be? Um, so, school improvement planning. Um, I, I specifically specialize. You know, in well, I don't specialize in much. I'm still earning my doctorate, so <laughs> I'm kind of kind of learning what I specialize in. But um, ELA is what I have a lot of experience in. Sure. Uh, data analysis is another thing I have experience in the student experience, um, different leadership styles, transformational leadership and servant leadership and so forth. Um, it's basically just, just looking at the qualitative and quantitative data that you're currently getting and saying and asking questions about, well, what, what would you like to get and how do we get there? Um, so it's multifaceted. It's really, it's really, I haven't come up with my, you know, what do they call it? A three minute elevator, <laughs> elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah, elevator need your elevator yeah. pitch. <laughs> I, I ask yeah. about that all the time too. Nobody can seem to give me that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you just have to keep, you just keep saying it. Like every yeah. time somebody asks, you try something different and you're like, that yeah. still took too long. Yeah. yeah. That's, like, <laughs> that's very cool. So like, how does your help reimagine education? Like, what are you thinking? Like in your perfect world, a school's going to bring you in and what does that look like? Are you looking for a full day workshop? Are you looking for long-term partnerships? Are you working with admin, admin teachers? Kind of what, what's um, your, you know, all of the above really. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to step away from the classroom when you got to have a part-time consulting gig. Um, so, you know, I, I have, um, I'm gaining some traction in the state to, to be able to, to do a little bit more. I've pre presented it, um, presented for a few different groups about things like literacy strategies or thinking outside mm -hmm. the box, as far cool. as education goes, how to use um, the internet specifically to, to create um, engaging, um, engaging reading material, things like that. So it's really just taken, the idea of traditional learning material, if you will, and um, saying, how can we do it a little bit better? How can we create a little more intrinsic motivation for uh, students? You know, and I, I, I 
check up on Chris every now and again on uh, his social media feeds, Twitter in particular. Yeah. And, you know, I can, I can really empathize with his frustration of, of this misunderstanding about what tech coaches are, you know, and it's like, man, if you could get a tech coach for a day to come in and say, okay, man, here, here's what we're going to do. Um, and, he, you know, here's five different choices. And I use menus a lot based on Howard Gardner. Here's five different choices. And you're going to put some literacy standards in, but we're going to show it in a different way. So you're going to create, you know, whether it's a brochure, newsletter, PowerPoint, or something that Chris comes to me and says, hey, I got this idea with this new technology. I just learned about it. You want to give it a try? Um, you know, it's those partnerships that aren't yet defined that are going to really take us to the, to the, to the 21st century. So we're looking, you know, we're, a lot of us are looking for concrete strategies when maybe we should be examining some theories first. Mm. So I stay oh, up yeah. to date on like uh, Ted Dintersmith and Tony Wagner, Ken Robinson, all the, uh, you know, Deborah Myers all these people that are saying the habits of the mind and our ability to think critically and solve problems are really what are going to drive us into the next uh, uh, century and the next millennium. Yeah. yeah. I mean, information's moving so quickly. That's what it is, right? If you have to have the habit of mind that you can learn anything the moment you know you need to use it. That's what I talk about, right? We live in a just-in-time learning environment. So building those habits, those habits and, and a self-confidence in every student that if I decide I want to change careers or my job just got, I just got laid off, you can pivot. Yep. You don't, it's very, it's crazy to me how many places will hire you if you have experience and you have a go get itness, right? You have a yeah. work ethic, right. for lack of a right. better term. But so if you I know how to learn, you can learn. Skills that are just like that, pliability, yeah. resilience, determination, and when that's what autonomy, that's really where my inspiration for autonomy came. Like, how do we, how do the, we help build these skills when I, you know, I'm supposed to be teaching ELA and, but I want the kids to be resilient. Yeah. So how do I do that? And, but I've found that assigning projects is one of the best ways to do it. Like you have to, you have to build a Lego thing that I can't even put on picture and I don't know how it's supposed to get done mm -hmm. or, or, you know, you're supposed to build a website and I really can't tell you how, but I know that Wix is, will give you a yeah. free one to do. So yeah. go do it. You have, you have five days. Good luck. You know, that's think, kind of the world that we grow up in now. Yeah. Well, right. and I think, I think to your point, I think the world, if we go outside of school, life works in projects. The reason why project-based learning and problem-based learning in schools is so powerful because it's the way life works. We all have a problem or a project we're trying to complete. You need to know how to take that problem or that project, break it down into smaller steps, figure out what phase you're in, go do a little bit of learning, and then take small steps to get it done. And, and to me, that's, that's the real skill set is understanding like, yeah, you've got this amazing project. You want to build a website? That's fantastic. It doesn't happen overnight. You need to go do some research. You need to understand design. You need to understand colors. You need, like there's a lot of things that go into building a website and breaking those down into pieces. And that's real life. Yeah, and I'd add to that. You know, you have to have the humility to say like, you can't be an expert in everything. Well, you can certainly try and some people are truly gifted. You know, the Da Vinci's do happen. But, you know, I probably wouldn't have figured out this whole microphone thing had you guys not, <laughs> not, not been able to call you. I'm just not gifted yeah. in that way. But, you know, those collaborations that, that occur because of you're trying to solve a problem. You're trying to, to build a project. That collaborative piece, um, sometimes we put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we say, we're going to collaborate and that makes us great. But it's like, wait a second, you got to have, yeah. you have to have an individual lens to make the collaboration successful. That's right. And you yeah. need to know what you're good at. I mean, Absolutely. I know what my strengths are and I know what Absolutely. my weaknesses are. Yep. You know, my weakness right now, like we're doing a three, four renovation of our house. I've been <laughs> tearing it apart for the last two days. My weakness is plumbing. 
So I can tear, I can tear out walls. I'll tear out walls. I can build walls. I can even do a little bit electrical. My wife doesn't like me to do it, but I do a little bit electrical, mm. but plumbing, I'm going to call somebody. I could right. do plumbing. I could learn plumbing, but it's, but there's a professional that I can collaborate with. It's yes. going to come in and do the plumbing for me. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's that idea of understanding like where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses. And it's not, it's not a bad thing if you have to ask for help. Right. You know, there's, not. there's people that help and support that's called a collaboration, but what are you yes. giving to the collaboration and what are you getting in return? Right. Absolutely. But, yeah. but, and that's the thing I love is like, you think of everything. I, I actually do this in one of my trainings that I do with teachers. We have them actually think of a project or problem or challenge that is going on in your real life. Yeah. And I think Chris, I did this with you. Yeah. Up at yeah. Shalan. In Shalan up there. In Shalan. It takes a million sticky notes. Yeah, but basically great. we say break down your project into all these different steps and then you categorize those steps into stages. And what you're looking at is project-based learning, but you mm -hmm. do it. You don't, we just, we don't think that we don't think that way because we're older, we're adults and we just, right. we, we have to get through it. But the same thing occurs all the time in schools. And if you can get kids to understand like, oh, this is the, this is the analyze. We have to analyze the problem. Or there's an empathy stage where you have to understand your mm -hmm. client before you ever make an app, you better understand your client. Because mm -hmm. right. otherwise you're not going to make the right app, right? So there's these stages that we have to understand and go through. And I think the more that we can just that repetition at a younger age with the way how fast this stuff is, yeah. is moving, and it's got to be the brain brain of the future. Hearing you guys talk through this, I just keep coming back. I have these conversations with teachers about the fact that it's it's learning the content is less important. We need to learn how to learn. We need to yes, teach absolutely. these kids to learn how to learn. And that's the process that you guys are talking through right here. And it's so important and the piece that all of this ties in with the project based and this yeah. autonomy and all that. So yeah. and we gotta yeah, get over our fear of freaking YouTube. Right. I mean, it has yeah. YouTube. And it's going to look ugly sometimes, right? We always yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's, you know, we live in a, and I know we've all, all heard this before we're teachers, you know, we live in a very prod product based world. Like we mm -hmm. want we want our end now, you know, and we don't, we forgot that the process learning the, our way through is pretty stinking important. We just look for the product and say, I want that now. I want yeah. that now. So, you know, honestly, and what I'm, what my, one of my greatest fears is, we've, we've gone so far away from honoring the process that now I'm, now I get online and you can actually, kids can actually subcontract their essays to yeah. online companies. Like, right. you know, pay 25 bucks and get a final about just submit your question and we'll forward you everything back or send everything yeah. back. And I thought, you know, we've come so far away from honoring the process yeah. that there's got, we got to get in front of that again. You know, we got to have the kids writing in class. We got to be, I don't know if grading the outline is part of it, but we just got to verify that Feed, those feedback, some, some sort of feedback yeah. and yeah. workable feedback. I would, it's funny you bring up the process. So I was just talking with a teacher when, when I was working with her in her class with the kids today, reflecting back on when I had my classroom a few years back and I would constantly use the phrase embrace the process embrace the process the product will take care of itself it goes back to coaching right we always, yes, that's how it worked in football coaching basketball but whatever the case is right if you embrace the process through the practice the product will take care of itself and the kids got so sick of me saying that yeah butler we get it embrace the process finally my ta says okay butler i'm going to make you a poster she made this beautiful poster put it on the wall <laughs> that's embrace the project the based learning right so i would just point at it then like yeah, yeah <laughs> we it. know the question yeah. is did the ta enjoy the process of making that loved it she loved it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
And that's so hard, right? And I think to your point, we live in such a time where you can outsource your essay. Mm -hmm. And here's, and I I keep coming back to this in when I'm talking to teachers to, and, and I talk with students about this all the time. The world belongs to those that create, not those that consume. Mm. So if somebody can create a good resume, you can outsource that, but they get paid. Somebody else creates a good video. You like watching the video, but the person that knows how to make the video gets paid. Right. You know how to run wiring or you know how to run plumbing, you get paid. Right. Right. If you can create stuff. So I'm wondering if there's even a way like taking your example where kids are like, oh, why am I writing an essay? My response right now would be because someday you could get paid for it. Actually, let's go look at indeed.com. And if you, you know go. how to write a really good essay, that's 15 bucks a paper. Oh, yeah, you can write at a college level. That's 50 bucks yeah. a paper. Like, yeah, it already and it's exists. something that every yeah. kid goes through school learning how to do. The job is there. You yeah. just yeah. need the practice now so that the product, when you're ready, mm-hmm. takes care of yourself. Right? Yeah, there is a definite economic model behind it. And it's scary because the economic, to me, it's scary. Um, I, because I think the economic, it seems feasible. Like, you know, if, if I can choose between getting five less lattes a week and having somebody write my essay, well, then I, I, I read yeah. the Mist of Babylon in, for British literature when I was in, in uh, a junior in high school. And the only reason I read that was because it was worth so many points. Yeah. I would have, I would have paid somebody a hundred dollars to read that for me because <laughs> I, I just hated reading then. Yeah. Right. And, you know, but I think the economics support it. And I'm a little bit fearful of the students that are coming up in that, in that era. But so, so maybe to possibly put a bow on this, to take that point and say, that's why the idea of student autonomy is so important. If we give them something they care about, if we let them choose something they're passionate about, they're not going to want the other person to write the essay because they want to actually learn about it and do the work. Absolutely. And I think it would, I think it might be, well, I think it might be wise to just um, look at how you can localize that. You know, how how can you use um, seniors in your school, for high school, for example, how can you use seniors in your high school to create a tutorial to help freshmen out mm-hmm. so that those, those skills remain local yeah. so that you don't have to send it to some person that's across the nation or wherever they may be and, and pay them on PayPal. You know, why yeah. do you have to do that? <laughs> when you can, when you can, and then that, that creates this idea of, hey, we're one, we're one school culture, we're one community. You have local, you have local discussions about the ethics of plagiarism and, and, you know, you foster in, you foster um, spontaneous relationships. I mean, it, there's a lot of ways that you can do this to make it so um, it doesn't seem so um, consequential, you know, for sure. Cool. For sure. Learning should be fun. That's for sure. Jeez, <laughs> Louise. That was the other day I was in one of my trainings and everybody started laughing and I was just like, Hey, there's no laughing and learning. Everybody <laughs> just needs to be quiet, right? That's awesome. Well, Pat, thank you for spending a good uh, 45 minutes with us. Really appreciate it. If you want to hear more about Pat's consulting stuff, uh, his website is mymindmypower.com. If people want to reach out to you on social media, where can they find you, Pat? It's at mymindmypower on you know Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all the same. Awesome. Got to keep it easy. So that's great. And we'll make sure there's links to that and to in all of the show notes. Of course, you can find Chris Butler over at Tech Teach Travel. That a boy. I got, got it. it right this time <laughs> at Tech Teach Travel on the Twitter. Yeah. That's where he hangs out all the time. Yes. Uh, you can always catch up with him on Twitter. And if you want to be uh, on an upcoming episode of Shifting Our Schools, you can reach out to Chris there. Or and Chris, I don't know if I told you this. I got the Gmail unlocked. 
Oh, Sweet. now we Good. have a Gmail account, nice. podcast at gmail.com. I set it up in 2007 when I was in Shanghai <laughs> and it was tied to my Chinese phone number when I lived there. <laughs> so like, I couldn't I get it unblocked. It took me forever. I had to, it was just a nightmare, but I got it. So podcast cool. at gmail.com. You can reach us out there or uh, Chris and I are both on the Twitter. I'm at Jay Udick and Chris is at Tech Teach Travel. Pat, yeah. so good to have you. You can find him at at my mind, my power everywhere on social media and the website as well for some of his consultants. So thank you for spending the great. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Enjoy. Pat, thanks. That was great. Uh, always, really appreciate always it. Great to hear your perspectives. Awesome. We'll see Take you guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.